The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. You're listening to Sunday on the Commons, a podcast featuring sermons from the United Congregational Church in Little Compton, Rhode Island. Once again, while Pastor Rebecca is on maternity leave, we have the Reverend Dr. Richard L. Floyd in our pulpit. This week, he focuses on an exciting reading from Acts that could come from an action-adventure screenplay. Let's listen as he reflects on what makes us truly free and what makes us prisoners. Dr. Floyd will ask us, what are the chains we have yet to break? What are the locked doors we have yet to open? from Acts 16, verses 16 through 34. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into the prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, 
and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Here ends the first reading. chapter of the gospel according to St. John. Uh, This is uh, part of Jesus' high priestly prayer in which he prays to the Father, and it is also the passage from which the motto of the United Church of Christ is derived, that they may all be one. Jesus says, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Here ends the reading. Today is the seventh and final Sunday in the Easter season, and we have had several quite remarkable readings from the book of Acts that emphasize the power of Jesus' resurrection during the rise of the early church. Three weeks ago, Rebecca preached about on this Mother's Day, preached about Tabitha and Peter raising Tabitha from the dead. And uh, last week I preached about Lydia, the Gentile businesswoman who was the first Christian convert in Europe. Each of these stories in Acts is different and particular in the same way that each of our stories with God are different and particular. But they all witness to the power of the risen Jesus to transform lives and to set people free. And today we have another story about lives changed. It is a dramatic story, which Claire just read so clearly and beautifully. And I think it would make a great screenplay for an action movie. I should copyright that, right? Coming soon to a theater near you. Paul and Silas, our heroes, are still in Philippi, where we left them last week. There is a slave girl, a fortune teller with, as the NRSV translates it, a spirit of divination. I sometimes, when I'm preparing a sermon 
realize how much we miss in translation, how many nice little nuggets we miss in English translation. Spirit of divination is a pretty good translation of the Greek, uh, dynamic equivalent. The Greek is pneuma pythanos, the spirit of the snake. Literally, the python, pneuma pythanos. And the python was the symbol of the prophetesses, that's a mouthful, isn't it? The prophetesses at the Oracle of Apollo at Delphi, right? Anybody been to Delphi? Very cool, yeah. So she was um, a prophetess. She had the spirit of the snake. And um, she was following Paul around stalking Paul, as we would say today. And apparently, she was quite good at predicting the future, and she brought home a lucrative profit to her owners. And one of the persistent features of the New Testament is the ability of various spirits and demons to recognize what's going on in the spiritual world, to recognize Jesus, even when the disciples are clueless. And today, Luke tells the story about a demon properly identifying Paul and Silas as, well, as she said, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. And then in this part where Paul eventually becomes annoyed with her, well, it doesn't sound like the most exalted uh, reason, but anyway, he exercises the demon out of her just so she'll stop stalking him and yelling out this identification of him which, as you can imagine, was much to the displeasure of her owners who were bringing all these profits from her fortune teller. And then things get ugly. The owners accuse Paul and Silas of disturbing the peace and of being Jews, a little bit of Roman anti-Semitism there. And the crowd gets all stirred up and riots. And they strip them, strip them and beat them within an inch of their lives. Then they throw Paul and Silas in prison into the deepest cell, and the jailer fixes their feet in the stocks. So things are not looking good for our heroes. And this is where it gets really interesting. Because at midnight, which is both literally and figuratively the darkest hour, you might expect Paul and Silas would be down in the dumps. But no, what are they doing? They're singing hymns about Jesus. You can just picture them there. It's like a Monty Python skit, you know? They're in the stocks and they're singing hymns about Jesus. And the other prisoners are listening. And I thought about calling this sermon, Singing in the Stocks. <laughs> and let us all make a small note to ourselves that in our most difficult time, in our darkest hour, we could take a page from their book and just sing a good hymn. Pick a good one. Uh, like two of the ones we're singing today. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Or Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. Good solid hymns that remind us of who's really in charge. Even in our really darkest hour. That's just a little free sidebar. So there they are at midnight in the stocks singing their little hearts out. When, and I quote, suddenly there's an earthquake so violent 
that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened, end of quote. I definitely want that part in my movie. Then the jailer realized that he was in a heap of trouble and was about to fall on his sword when Paul yelled, it's okay, we're still here, we haven't escaped. The jailer called for lights and saw that indeed they were still there. And he took them outside and asked, what must I do to be saved? Now to us, that sounds like a religious question, but he may have merely been asking, how do I get out of this mess? But Paul and Silas also heard it as a religious question, and they answered, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household, which is exactly what happened. And the jailer cleaned their wounds, he brought them up to the house and set food before them, and he and his, he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. There's that hospitality that we saw last week in the Lydia story, which Luke understands is one of the marks of the church. Now what to make of this strange story? You know, I was ordained in 1975. I've never preached on this text before. Because whenever it's come up in the lectionary, I've said like, that story's just too strange. Um, but I said, you know, Rebecca and I were talking about Acts. I said, you know, there's some text in the lectionary from Acts she goes, yeah, Acts has some weird stories. I said, it does, doesn't it? I said, I'm going to preach on those, see what I can come up with. So here, here goes. Luke, the author of Acts, believed in the power of Jesus and his gospel, not only to transform lives, but also to make extraordinary things happen. And we have several of them in this story. Now, the commentators say that Acts is, quote, highly idealized and should be read as a theological narrative and not as a strict history, okay? So what are the theological points Luke is trying to make in this story? There are several. One, the gospel of Jesus Christ is addressed to all sorts and conditions of people. Unlike almost every religion of the time which made distinctions based on societal distinctions. to Jews like Paul, to Gentiles like Lydia, to women like Lydia and Tabitha, to poor people like the slave girl with the demon, to rich people like Lydia, to powerful people like the Roman jailer, and to powerless people like the slave girl. Two, despite the attempts of many Christians to create a, a one-size-fits-all template for coming to Jesus and conversion, each of these people in Luke's stories experience the gospel in a way particular to them. Lydia is moved by Paul's teaching. The jailer is moved by the dramatic earthquake and the opening of his prison, the slave girl by being freed from her demon. Some come to Christ all at once, some over time. Some are born again, 
Some are born again and again and again. I consider myself born again and again and again and again. And I don't think I'm done yet. And some are once born and never experience conversion, but still know and follow Jesus. That's what part, part of what Luke's saying. The Spirit works in its own free way with us. And as I said last week, although Luke believes in the power of the Holy Spirit, he also believes in human free will and sees no contradiction between divine guiding and human choosing. Three, Luke sees the gospel as shaking foundations, disrupting conventions, and proscriptions. There are many reversals in the book of Acts. Luke describing the stories what Paul described in his first letter to the Corinthians. Remember that wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God. The topsy-turvy values of the gospel. And the best example of the topsy-turvy values of the gospel in today's story is the contrast between the Roman jailer and Paul and Silas. Now think about it with me. The jailer is a functionary, an official, of the most powerful empire in the known world. It's his prison. He's got the keys. He is powerful. He is free. Paul and Silas, on the other hand, are bloodied from beatings. They are cast into the darkest cell and fastened by their feet in stocks. They are not powerful. They are not free. But Luke's story leaves us no doubt what who he thinks is really free and who isn't. Paul and Silas are singing in the stocks after the earthquake breaks their shackles and opens their prison door. They don't even run away. The jailer, on the other hand, is not free. He would take his own life before suffering the shame of not doing his job for Rome. So this story invites us to consider our own freedom and power. I have known some very powerful people in my time. Captains of industry, exceedingly rich people, famous people even. I've had congregants on the cover of Forbes magazine. And I can assure you, having power and money does not make you free, much less happy or secure. Real personal freedom is something else. It comes from somewhere else. And I have wise friends in the recovery community who will tell you that they only experienced real freedom when they admitted their powerlessness and turned their lives over to a higher power. They have told me that the chains that held them and the doors they were locked behind were often of their own making. And this is what Luke's story tells us so powerfully, so beautifully, that the power of the risen Christ can not only transform us, 
but can break our self-made chains and open our locked prison doors. So on this final Sunday of Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and the power of God to bring new life and new freedom to us all, what are the chains that hold you? What are the doors that are closed to you? It may be time to cast them off and open them up. In the name of Jesus Christ, exercise the freedom in which Christ has set you free. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website, www.ucclittlecompton.org. And if you'd like to show some appreciation for what you've heard today, we invite you to please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our ministry by clicking the donate link in the show notes. The tradition at our church is to end every service with this simple prayer. God be with you till we meet again. By God's counsels, God uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Go in peace.